Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. As we begin a new year, we're going to begin a new study, a new sermon series from the book of Ephesians. And as we do so, um, I, I realize, and I'm sure you probably realize, that in this room today, as we gather as a family of God, and there may be those who are visiting with us this morning, and we're so glad you've come to share in this service, and we want you to feel right at home here. We hope you return and come back again if you live in the area. And in this room, uh, there are people who have uh, walked with God and studied God's Word uh, much longer than I have. Uh, some of the people, having grown up in this church, that were my teachers, are sitting in the pews here today. There are those of you, there are some here today, who I know, who have come to know Christ this past year. This is your first, this is your first new year as a new believer. And there are others uh, everywhere in between in terms of your years of experience and your walk with the Lord. And maybe you're visiting today. Uh, maybe there are those here who really don't know Christ as Savior. Um, as we study this book together... I want you to know that there is something in this epistle for everyone. And uh, as we study it together, our goal will be to uh, present some things for you to think about, some deep things for you to think about and uh, meditate on and consider, some fresh and new things. And for those of you who are, who are newer to, to the Bible and to, and to walking through God's Word, uh, this is a good opportunity to, to be part of, a, of, a, of a thinking and studying through a book of the Bible as a whole in, in one setting. And so this would be a great opportunity for you as well. So for all of us, from all spectrums, we will do our best to make this, uh, this book and this study both uh, help us understand, you know, our, our tradition in our church, we stand in the tradition of those who say that, we accept the scriptures for all areas of faith and practice in our lives. We hold the Bible up very uh, high in this church. We have a high view of scripture. And we believe that everything God wants us to know for our understanding, our doctrine, our teaching, our knowledge of, of um, what God has revealed to us is contained in scripture. We also believe that what God wants us to do, how we live, is also contained in this scripture. I appreciate the passage that uh, Chuck read this morning from Deuteronomy 6, where, where God told those people to, to tie it on their hands and bind it on their foreheads. The idea, keep the word of God in front of you all the time. And, and Joshua uh, and, and, and tells the people to know to do. And so as we study the book of Ephesians together, we're going to find this is one of those epistles that you will find a very uh, interesting arrangement where the first three chapters very strongly focus on what we should know about God, about his plan for salvation, about who we are as his family. And we will see in chapters four through six a very strong emphasis on the application. Now you know those things. How are you going to put them to work in your lives? But it is important to understand the first three chapters in order to apply chapters 4, 5, and 6. So this is going to be our goal in this study, and I'm glad you're here today. And we're just going to cover just a couple of verses today just because we're going to be introducing this study. 
Uh, we will do more than two verses a week, okay? I promise you that. Otherwise, it'll be um, a few years before we finish Ephesians. And so, uh, but today we're just going to look at the first three verses as an introduction to this epistle. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, pause one, once again before we open your word, just to pray together to, to ask that you would open our hearts toward your word. That might our hearts be open. It might be we'd be willing to learn new things from your word today. Might your words be heard in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, let's just read the first three verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, as we, we begin this book, I want to remind you that an epistle is a letter. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, to the church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul uh, was an apostle who was called by God. If you were to turn back in the book just previous, you'll notice that Galatians is just previous to Ephesians. You look back at Galatians chapter 1, and his, his, his opening, just like when you were to write a letter today, and you might put, dear, you know, dear friend, dear so-and-so, as some introductory remarks, you know, how are you doing? Hope things are well. Uh, you know, you kind of have an introduction. Then you have kind of the body of your letter, and then a conclusion. And this is how the epistles are written. And so Paul begins this letter. He writes it out, or he has somebody write it while he, trans- while he reads it, and they transcribe it. It's hand-delivered. Uh, to the church that it was going to. So when he writes to the churches in Galatia, he says, Paul, an apostle, and he helps us understand a little bit more what this means. Sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead to all the brothers, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. So here we see that Paul specifically talks about this idea of being sent by God. The apostle Paul As an apostle, the word apostle really comes from the word to send. And it emphasizes both, it emphasizes both the sending and the message that they bring. Uh, We talk about the twelve apostles, you know, the the disciples of Christ, the eleven plus the one that was added to replace Judas. There were other apostles, like Barnabas, like James, the head of the Jerusalem church, the brother of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul kind of fit in his own category because he was not one of the twelve. He was not one of the early believers in the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Of course, he was opposing the church. He was persecuting the church. And God uh, struck him blind on the road to Damascus. And he, and he saw the Shekinah, or the, the glory of God in, in this vision, obviously, that blinded him. And he says that he, too, saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So he also is an apostle who was sent by God with the message of God, and he writes to the church of Ephesus, and he says, Paul, an apostle, one sent. But I want you to notice, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, oftentimes, as we will see um, in the next verse, we usually more normally say Jesus Christ. Jesus was his name. And we talked about that over Christmas time. And his name shall be Jesus. That's his earthly name. Christ, or Christos, is the title 
that is equal to the Hebrew Messiah. So really, what, you, what Paul is saying here by emphasizing Christ first is that he is an apostle of the Messiah, Jesus. The Messiah also is one who was sent by God. The Messiah who was sent by God as the Savior. Paul, an apostle of the Messiah, Jesus, by God's will. By God's will. It was not Paul's will. It was not Paul's choice. We know that because Paul was trying to stop the church. He was trying to persecute the church. But it was by God's will that he was called and made an apostle. Paul the apostle, by the will of God, to the saints, that is the separated ones out in Ephesus. Now, just a quick background, just to kind of put this in context for you. Cliff, could you put that first? The map of the Mediterranean world... That uh, this would be a modern map of, of the Mediterranean world today, northern Africa, Egypt, the Middle East, modern day Turkey, uh, Italy, and Greece. And Ephesus is on the coast here of Turkey. And it was called in the Bible days Asia Minor. And Ephesus, uh, located on the coast of Turkey, at one time was actually a port city there, but over the centuries, the, because of the erosion of the, of the port entry, actually the, the city kept moving further away from the actual port. But at one time, before the New Testament era, uh, it was a major port city. And you notice the, the, in the shipping lanes, of course, from everything began and ended, of course, in Rome. And the shipping lanes would go through here, through Corinth, to the coast of Turkey, and then also along the coast and down to the breadbasket that fed the whole world, and that was the breadbasket in Egypt in the Nile Delta. And so Ephesus was a very, very important port city, and uh, such that it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, and the, most, the third most significant city after Rome and probably Athens. It was a very important city, uh, the population could have been 200 to 250,000. Um, Paul, let's just leave that one up there for a minute, and let's just look at Paul's relationship with this church. If you leave, your, leave something here in the book of Ephesians, and if you just go back for a moment to Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. His first missionary journey was, was all in that area of modern-day Turkey. He, he traveled to cities in Turkey, in modern-day Turkey. He went back to Antioch. And then he sets out on his second missionary journey. And on his second missionary journey, um, the Apostle Paul, I'll just show you up here, the Apostle Paul goes over here to Corinth, over in uh, the southern part of Greece and Macedonia. And as Paul is there in Corinth, and he stays there for a lengthy period of time, a year and a half, then you'll notice in verse 18 of chapter 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut at Kentria because of a valley he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus. So Paul's first encounter in Ephesus is on the second missionary journey. Where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, he himself went into the synagogue reasoned with the Jews, and when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And he set sail from Ephesus and heads down to Caesarea. 
So the Apostle Paul from Corinth goes to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul does what he routinely did. Paul goes into the synagogue. The reason he goes into the synagogue, because it's in the synagogue, is a perfect place to begin his ministry of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in that synagogue, you've got Jewish people who already believe in the one true God. Judaism was the only religion in the old world that acknowledged and believed that there was one true God. All the other religions worshipped an assortment of the deities. And they all believed that your God, your God is in your God and your God and your God and your God. They're all gods. It's all a matter of whose God's more powerful at what particular time than the other gods as to who is going to be the strongest people. And the one thing they had in common, they had to worship the emperor. He also was a god. And as far as the Romans were concerned, they didn't care who you worshipped. They didn't care who you worshipped, if you worshipped, as long as you included the emperor in your worship. That's all they cared about. One religion was exempt from emperor worship, and that was Judaism. And when he came to the synagogue, he found people who believed in, this, in the same God that he wanted to talk about. He also had people who believed in the coming Messiah. He also had in those synagogues several non-Jewish people who were attracted to Judaism who were there sitting as well. And so there was this common base from which he could begin. He could go right to the Old Testament scriptures and he could show them from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah had to come. He had to die and suffer for sin. And this Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, he is that Messiah. And he rose from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God today and he is the Savior. And you can receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life by accepting the fact that he paid for your sins on the cross of Calvary. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I've just shared the gospel with you. It's a very simple story. Because it was God's plan of salvation that Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, came to earth, lived a life without sin, went to the cross of Calvary. The cross behind me in our church is a constant reminder that Jesus went to the cross and he died on that cross and he paid for my sin. He died to pay for my sin and God's anger and justice against sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He was placed in the grave. He rose from the dead. And he offers you forgiveness for sins and eternal life if you would simply acknowledge that you need a Savior and that you are a sinner and that Jesus died for your sins and received his forgiveness for your sins. When Paul was in Philippi before he went to Athens, to Corinth, and that day when, when God did this wonderful miracle and the Philippian jailer fell down in front of him and said, what must I do to be saved? And the Lord's response was simply what? What do you say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's as simple as that, friends. And so Paul went to the synagogue to proclaim this message. But he leaves. And he leaves Priscilla and Quilla in Ephesus. And he moves on. And then when we come to chapter 19, we come to Paul's third missionary journey. The end of his second journey and the beginning of his third journey are just sort of squeezed in here at the end of 18. And it says, while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. And then we, you can read the rest of this about his encounter with these people who he asked, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? And we go on there in verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue once again and he spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. 
This is not the coming Messianic kingdom, but the bigger overall picture of God's king, kingship and kingship over the world. And some of them became obstinate, refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. That's what the Christians were called. And Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in a, in a, in a non-religious, non-Jewish center to the, to, the, to the lecture hall of Tarmanius. He took it to the academic world, if you will. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. And so for two years, Paul settled down, 18 months in Corinth. He travels, comes back, and his next major place of settling down, he was itinerant. He would go from place to place and help found churches, appoint elders, and, and get them started and go on to the next place. For a year and a half, he spent in Corinth. For two years, he spends here in Ephesus, teaching the Word of God so that you notice it says, because of this work in Ephesus, all of Asia heard the Word of God. It was such an important city that all of Asia heard the Word of God. The, the city of Ephesus probably looked something like this at that time. Uh, and, and you'll notice a couple of features there. We'll just talk about the closing. But this was the downtown area of Ephesus. Thanks, Cliff. So we look at Ephesians chapter 1. And, uh, and Paul then leaves Ephesus, and he does, he does come back um, on, on the end of his last journey, and he returns briefly to an area called Miletus, because he didn't really want to go back into Ephesus, because he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem, and so he had the elders come out and meet him. And you can read that account, if you want to make a note, you can read that account uh, in Acts chapter 20. Uh, in verses 17 and following, his talk with the, with the elders, how he says, I preached to you day and night. I didn't withhold anything from you. I preached to you the gospel and, and, and established you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul writes to them, we believe this is one of the what we call prison epistles. Because during this time, at the very end of the book of Acts, we find that Paul is in Rome He's under house arrest for two years. And we believe it's during that time and those two years that Paul wrote the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. He wrote these letters while he was in prison. He sends them to Ephesus. So while Paul is in prison, he writes a letter. He greets them. He gives them the body of the letter. He closes it and it's sent off to Ephesus. Just real quickly, just before we close today, this is a way of introduction today. The content, I want you to notice verse 2. We looked at verse 1. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier this, this morning, uh, John and Faith sang to us about grace and peace. You know, sometimes we, we, we read these words and we can go over them so quickly because we're so familiar with them. It's such a standard part of our of our Christian vocabulary and thinking. But I would like you to just reflect on these two words today and what this means to you. Grace and peace. Paul does not use these lightly. In most of his epistles, he signs either in or off with that phrase or somewhere in the body of the epistle, he emphasizes grace and peace. The word grace simply means undeserved or unmerited favor. You don't, you don't deserve God's favor 
even though maybe you might think you do. But that's, that's part of coming to Christ for salvation. There's a certain humbling aspect that we have to acknowledge that the Bible says that we are sinners by nature. I probably don't have to convince you of that. But we all struggle with sin. If we didn't have sin, we would need no laws. Our, our cultures and our community would need no law. We would all always do what is right. But we all know that we struggle with sin because we are sinners by nature. And God has chosen in His love and mercy to offer us complete forgiveness for our sins. And this is unique, friends, to the Christian faith. Every other religion emphasizes that you have to work your way to God. That you have to do enough to please God. Especially in the Roman world, the deities had to be pleased. So they would be pleased with you by your constant efforts. And even in Judaism, where Paul encountered from his own background as the Pharisees of trying to please God through the law. And all of a sudden, this, the whole new spectrum of truth exploded upon the Apostle Paul when God revealed it to him. That Jesus Christ has already paid for all your sins. You can be 100% fully forgiven for all of your sins. And God will accept you in Christ if you receive Him as Savior. Grace. You don't deserve that. I'll be the first one to stand here and say, I certainly don't deserve that. And nobody knows that better than me. That I don't deserve God's grace. Where would I be today if it wasn't for the grace of God? Where would you be? Unmerited favor. Grace and peace. We have peace with God. You've all heard the Hebrew word shalom. It means more than the absence of war. It means deep well-being. It means health and wholeness. That's why in, in, in the Jewish culture, shalom is, works for hello and shalom works for goodbye. Because it's, it's the entire deep well-meaning. Grace and peace God offers to you today, friends. And this is a good thing for us to start our new year off with the reminder that we are found in God's grace and we can have peace with God and the peace of God. As the Bible says, it passes all human understanding. Grace and peace. Blessing. You know, this, this, is a, this, uh, this next verse Verse 3, which we'll conclude with today, and we'll just touch on. And, and if you have a newer translation, um, do you notice in verse 3 begins a new paragraph? And you notice it goes uh, in, in, in the NIV to end of verse 10. Actually, you'll find in the original language, you have, you don't, you'll never get away with this. If, if you, those of you that are in high school or college and composition and so on, but you have one huge, long sentence. I believe it's like 200 words or something. It goes on and on and on. Paul writes this one sentence that just goes on and on and on. It breaks all rules of English grammar. But that didn't matter. He was writing in Greek, you know. And he's inspired by God. So he writes this huge, long sentence. And it begins with this, with this blessing of God. And it's a, it's a very Hebrew thought. I mean, this is, t this is very typical of how the Jews would pray even today. Praise be to God. Blessed be our God. Blessed be... Uh, they wouldn't even use the word God. Blessed be Hashem, the name. Blessed be He. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be Adonai. 
Blessed be God. And Paul breaks into this praise as he begins this epistle to this church at Ephesus where he spent two years with these people. Two years of his life he spent with these people. And he's been through a lot. And there's persecution and there's challenges and there's ongoing. And Paul says, praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this word blessing is used three times in this passage. Blessed be God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Blessed be God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And I'm going to have to let you, because time is, 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 is about finished here this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you will take time to meditate and think about what this means. Blessed, you know, we've, we've gathered here this last hour in this service. We call this our worship service. And everything we do in this service is worship. The singing, the scripture reading, the receiving of the offering, what Chuck shared with us about Bible memory, what Kevin shared with us, what Gary shared with the worship. This is all part of why we gather today. And I appreciate your taking time to come and spend with us today. We are here to focus our thought and to bless God, to worship God. That's why we are here. To bless God, to worship God. And Paul begins this wonderful epistle by blessing God because he has blessed us. And I want you to notice this. And I, I, you know, we couldn't possibly begin to take this in with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And I do want to say this. You know, our church, and the reason why this epistle is important too, is our church was founded. Well, in, in uh, 2014, will be 50 years, 1964. And our church really was founded on Jesus Christ. We're focused on Him. We are Christians. And we are here today because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if there were a passage of Scripture that really gave impetus to how we teach the Word and how we understand the Word, it's this epistle of the Ephesians. Now we, we, we started with, with this claim. And I remember our founding pastor. And I remember how important this verse was. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. King James translation. That was part of our beginning. And if you read our church doctrinal statement, you will notice that our church doctrinal statement, which is, the, which is the, the, the lead part of our church constitution, states that we begin and we are founded around this principle. And that is the unities that are found in Ephesians chapter 4. And in our doctrinal statement, it's quoted from the King James. But I read to you from chapter 4, make every effort. This is what our church was founded on. It's in our doctrinal statement today. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. You are called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's what our church was founded on. The unity, the oneness found in the book of Ephesians. And as we study this book together, we are going to see 
And one of the, 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 the commentaries I really enjoy by a, a man named Honer, it's a more recent, it's a big commentary, but this thing was an excellent one. He makes the point, this is the theme of Ephesians. Unity. Unity. You will find Paul's use of that word unity, this particular word, only in Ephesians, nowhere else in the New Testament. You will find the word one 14 times. In the book of Ephesians, you will find the prefix soon, which is with, with Christ, with one another, with, you know, this togetherness. You will find this 14 words. You find the concept of the body of Christ and the unity is founded on the love that we are to have. The verb or noun for love is found 20 times in the book of Ephesians. One third of all the Pauline uses are found in the book of Ephesians. The unity based on love. God's love for us. Our love for God. Our love for one another. Husbands, love for your wives. Love for each other. This use of the word love, we will find in this book, the unity is so practical that we as a body of Christ are to be unified and we are to be known that we love one another as God has loved us. This will be our theme. And it was on this principle that we found it. And when Paul says we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, this is a good example of understanding the word of God in a way that we make right application. There are those today who preach based on Old Testament principles that if you truly follow God, God will bless you with money. God will bless you with perfect health. And if you do not have wealth, and if you do not have health, then you are out of God's will. And friends, that was an Old Testament promise. That was part of God's promise to Israel. He promised them a specific land. We as a body of Christ, we are not promised any piece of earth, any land. We live here. we got brothers and sisters in India and China and Africa and South America. You name it. We have not been promised a piece of land that will always be prosperous if we only worship God. And we have never been promised that we will always be healthy. If that's true, I've got some dear brothers and sisters who are with the Lord today who were tremendous, tremendous examples of faithfulness to God, but God called them home. He chose not to heal them. Others, He has chosen to heal. Our promise today, friends, Paul says here, we have been given spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. While we are on earth, God has already given us forgiveness for sins. God has given us the Holy Spirit He will not take away. God has given us the peace that passes all understanding. God has given us the Holy Spirit that will help us understand His Word. God has given us the Holy Spirit that will enable us to live a life pleasing to God, to have victory over a sinful lifestyle. Romans chapter 6 and 7. God has, has promised through the Spirit to bless us and He has called us Himself and He loves us as His children. And we've been given, I mean, how could we ever, you know, we use the term today, I know it's overused and stuff. How could we ever wrap our mind around, our brain around this concept that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies? It's a, it's a completed action. And you don't have to leave this place today and do something and work hard and struggle and, and commit and this and that so that God will, will bless you. He has given you those blessings. He wants us now to live 
what we are. And this is what we're going to learn in the book of Ephesians. Well, listen, we're out of time this morning. I know a few of you want to get home and watch a football game today. And uh, it's called the road to the Super Bowl, right? We're already on the road. All right. <laughs> okay. And uh, I guess if we win, it'll be our second road victory in playoff history, right? Right, Chris? Oh, since 1983. Okay, good. All right. So it's a big day. But listen, as we conclude this morning, I wanted to say just a couple of things. Cliff, uh, Ephesus. Ephesus, just to to remember this, what it was known for. This is one of the seven, this was there when Paul was there. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the temple to Artemis. Now, the Latin and Roman is Diana. It's the same person, Artemis and Diana. This, some of the ancient people, ancient writers have said, I saw the Colossus of Rhodes, I've seen this, I've seen that. But when I saw the Temple of Artemis, this covers an area about the size of a football field, I was blown away in their own language. You know, but nothing could compare to this beautiful temple to Artemis. People came from all over the Greek Roman world to Ephesus to worship this female deity. And there were a lot of different opinions as to what she really was the deity of. But this was one of the seven wonders of the world that towered there when Paul was preaching in the streets the gospel of Jesus Christ. This temple was there and people were coming from all over the world to this temple. There was a theater. There's a theater in Ephesus. These are the ruins. We sat there when we went there in 2001. Sat in that theater, or 2000, whatever it was, Alex. Anyway, we sat in that theater. This theater sat 24,000 people. I'll defer to the architects to figure out, to tell me how in the world could 24,000 people sit in that theater and hear the person on stage without a microphone, (laughs) without anything. It's amazing. While we were sitting in that theater, when I was on our trip to Israel, and we were in that theater, it was toward the end of our tour, and it dawned on me, We sat in the theater in Caesarea. We stood together in Corinth. And we sat there in this theater in Ephesus. And it just kind of dawned on me. I should have known this before. I'm sure I did, but it really hit me. God's strategy in spreading the gospel. Paul traveled city to city, two weeks, three weeks, one day, But God had him settle down in four places for a lengthy time. A year and a half in Corinth, two years in Ephesus, two years in Caesarea, and two years in Rome. Every place else he was coming and going. Those four places were port cities. The three of them were port cities. They were provincial capitals. They were places where people were coming and going. There were ethnic and cultural and racial mix of people. There was a diversity of religions and worship. And in those three cities and in Rome is where God put Paul for a long time so the gospel could go out by those who came to him. And as we were there in Ephesus, and I think about that, road to the Mediterranean world. 
going one way. It was at the western end of the old Persian highway that went all the way back east as well to Susa. And that highway that the gospel went back and forth and went out to the whole Asia Minor. And it reminded me of our situation today. And I'll close with this. God has placed this here in Seattle. This is a very practical epistle. We live in a city where people are coming from all over the world. This week, some of you will rub shoulders with people who come from places where it is illegal for them to hear the gospel. It's impossible for them to hear the gospel. And they come to Seattle to work, to go to school, to live in your neighborhoods, to shop at your stores. And we have the opportunity to be a light and a witness of Jesus Christ, where they are coming to us just like Ephesus. And from this place, the gospel goes back out again all over the world. We are living in a place where there is syncretism, where there is a multiplicity of religions and worship, where there is all sorts of similar beliefs to Ephesus. And that's where we are today. As we study this epistle together and learn what we are to believe and how we are to live, I trust that God will, will, will burden us with the opportunity to be missionaries like the Apostle Paul was in this very place where we live. We started out with this book at our church, and it's a good place for us to launch 2013, to launch back out again with the message of the gospel the good news that God loves you. God loves you and offers you forgiveness for sins and eternal life. That is the good news that we have to offer. Let's close our service with our final hymn. We'll be dismissed and God bless you as you walk with him and serve him this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this indeed is your world. That means that this is your state and your city as well. And you have placed us here for whatever reason. And Lord, uh, we just uh, we want to be faithful to you, to serve you. We want to leave this place today. And wherever we go this week, uh, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us to show the love of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, before anything else, that people would see that we love you because you have first loved us. And that we love them because you love them. And that you want all to come and receive your wonderful gift of forgiveness for sins and eternal life. Lord, it's a good thing you put us here. We're excited. We're enthusiastic about the work you've given us. And might this church truly be a mission field for your grace and your glory in this year to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.